Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. I am your host, Claire Tuning, a non-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, and this is episode 166 of our show. It has been a minute since I have been at the top of your feed with a new episode, a little over a month, I believe. The month of March ended up being a little chaotic for me, both work-related, personal-related. I was traveling probably more in the past month than I have in the past two years combined, so the podcast had to take a little bit of a backseat, so thank you for allowing me to rest and, and understanding. I'm hoping, moving forward, to be back in your feed at least on an every other week basis, kind of making some shifts and trying to figure out where podcasting and creating new audio content is going to fit in, but for now, you can expect to get a new episode about every other week, and we're going to start that with our episode today. Today. Speaking of our episode today, this is brought to you by my online intuitive eating discovery course. So if you have ever wondered how to get started with intuitive eating, how to break up with those dieting tools like the scale or food tracking devices, how to begin reconnecting to your body's cues around food, and how to start challenging that pesky voice of the inner food police, then this is a course that I made specifically for you. The course contains eight coaching lessons that are led by me, yours truly, in an audio format. So it's like a coaching call that you do on your own time, and there's eight of them. There's also 45 plus pages of interactive worksheets and journal prompts to help you set goals and take action on what you learn in each coaching lesson. You'll get lifetime access to our Facebook community that is exclusive for course participants for support from both myself and others, and there's a lot of free bonus content as well. We have topics like body image and mindful eating, and all of that free bonus content is, of course, included with your course enrollment. So if you would like to learn more about the course and claim your spot today, you can visit clairetuning.com slash course. And as a little thank you for being a listener of the podcast, I have a gift to offer you to use towards your enrollment. So you can enter the code podcast, all one word, doesn't matter if it's capitalized or not, but just one word, podcast, at checkout for 10% off of your enrollment investment in the Intuitive Eating Discovery course. That's cleartuning.com and enter the code podcast at checkout for 10% off of your investment in the Intuitive Eating Discovery course. But I hope to see you on that participant list very soon and in that Facebook community. That's a perk of being a member of the course as well. But in today's episode of the podcast, first one back here in the month of April, we are talking with licensed therapist Swifty and all around incredible human being Amanda White. I had so much fun talking with Amanda a few months back when we did this interview. I said a second ago that she is a Swifty. We do talk about Taylor Swift in the first five-ish minutes of the recording, so if you're not a fan, you can skip over that, but I highly recommend you stick around for our Swifty conversation, but I have no doubt you will enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it and talking with her. But a little bit more about Amanda before I tease what we're talking about in this conversation, and then I'll turn the podcast over to her. So Amanda is the creator of the popular Instagram account that you might be familiar with if you spend any amount of time on social media and the mental health space at all, but the account is called Therapy for Women, and she's also the founder and director of the group therapy practice, Therapy for Women Center, that's based in Philadelphia, where she serves clients from all across the country. People are often drawn to Amanda's unique expertise, an accessible approach to healing and mental health, and her expertise has been featured in a lot of notable publications such as Forbes, The Washington Post, Shape, Women's Health Magazine, and more. Her book, her very first book, Not Drinking Tonight, a 
Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love came out in January of this year and is a really honest discussion of mental health where Amanda explores our reasons for drinking alcohol and the benefits of taking a break. For more information on both Amanda and her book and where to find her book, I'm actually looking at her book sitting on my desk as I record this, but for more information, you can visit amandawhite.com. In this conversation, Amanda shares more about her book, of course, as well as her take on how our relationships with alcohol can impact and play a role in both our relationships with food and our bodies. She also talks a little bit about getting curious when it comes to your relationship with alcohol and how to know if sobriety, or at least a sober curious life, as she calls it, might be the right fit for you. So without further ado, I'm going to stop talking and we're going to hand it over to Amanda. Enjoy. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. It's so good to finally speak with you in real time. I know. Thank you so much for having me, Claire. Well, we're going to get right into it with some hard hitting this or that questions. I will tell you they're going to start off easy and they're Mm. going to become increasingly more challenging because we will eventually get to the Taylor Swift one, which will be the hardest, but my first one for you, starting out easy, iced tea or lemonade? Uh, Lemonade for sure. Okay. Where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey, but I moved a lot. Um, So I was born in Texas. I lived in Illinois, New Jersey, New York. Now I'm in Pennsylvania. Okay. Reason why I ask is I feel like sometimes people's answer to that question can be indicative of where they grow up. I feel like if I ask tea or sweet tea to anyone who grew up in the South, that's definitely what they go for, <laughs> but I, I'm too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second one, tacos or burritos? Tacos for sure. You- I don't really like tortillas that aren't corn tortillas. I don't know why, uh-huh. but I don't like flour tortillas that much. So tacos, especially okay. corn tacos, like corn flour, corn, tortilla, flour. Yeah. Corn tortilla. <laughs> Cornmeal. Yeah. So I have a, I have a follow-up question for you since mm. you're a taco fan. Are you more of the, of the soft shell variety or the hard shell tacos? I feel like it depends on where I am. Okay. You know, cause if you're at a restaurant, it's not that common. I feel like to get hard shell tacos mm-hmm. at a place. Um, if they're fresh, absolutely. Like if it's a chip, sort of situation. I would like to eat chips as a, as my taco shell. Yeah. My main grievance with a hard shell taco is it looks great and it tastes great for that first bite. But then when you completely lose the structural, structural integrity of it, when it just like crumbles on your plate, it's a, it's an unpleasant experience for me. (laughs) Yeah. It can be, it can be a mess for sure. (laughs) Next one, Netflix or Hulu? Netflix for sure. I, I do have a Hulu account, but It's one of those that I feel like I will delete and then something will come up and then I'll have to get it again. You're like, uh, another trial for me. Yes. Yes. Like 10 right now. (laughs) Too many. I feel like Netflix is just more like top of mind. I know a a lot of great stuff is on Hulu, but you just hear Netflix being talked about more. Yep. Yep. For sure. Okay. Are you ready for my Swifty questions? I am. I feel like I need to preface this by telling our audience in case everybody knows if they've listened to this show before that I'm a big Taylor Swift fan, but so are you. And anytime yes. I have a fellow Swifty, we always squeeze some Swift talk in here. So I've been seeing a lot of talk on TikTok. I don't know if you've seen these where people will categorize Swifty. Mm. Swifties in one of two categories. First category is, are you the speak now lover folklore? type of Swifty, or are you more of the lover reputation evermore Swifty? I'm anywhere where reputation is. That is where I am. (laughs) I knew I liked you, but I like you more in this moment. I I don't know why people split them in that way. Like Mm -hmm. they group speak now, lover folklore together. I can kind of see it though. Yeah. I don't know how to assign words to it. It's more of just the lighthearted isn't the right word, but it's like flowery, right. flowery yes. in a way. Yes. I like, yeah. don't wear pink. Um, flowers aren't really my thing. Like uh-huh. literally I had a wedding and my goal was to have as few flowers as possible. We had <laughs> lots of plants instead. Uh-huh. Um, but I also didn't like controversial. I didn't love lover, especially coming off of reputation. 
It was quite a turn. It was a turn. Now, I feel like Lover, it has its songs, of course. Yes. I mean, if we're thinking about, right, like death by, you know, death by a thousand cuts, if we're talking about, you know, that vibe, that's where I am. I feel like I associate sometimes Lover with the song Lover, which is beautiful and phenomenal, but I don't jam to that by myself. Yeah. I'm a big death by a thousand cuts fan. I mean- it's fun to bop to a London boy every once in a while, but yeah. it's not going to be like in my main rotation. Yeah. Um, but reputation- I love Daylight. Daylight yes. is a phenomenal song. Very underrated. Yeah. I underrated actually used song. quotes from it in my vows to my husband. Okay. <laughs> okay. You, I'm <laughs> really not, I'm going to expose myself right now. I am, okay. I am not married, but you know, as yeah. one does, you, yeah. you, you think about the the potential day and what that might be like. And the number of times I have considered the ways in which I'm going to squeeze a Taylor Swift line, mm-hmm. a lyric, some sort of like, um, I don't know, something on some signage. Yes. yes. <laughs> like that could be fun. Uh, but Reputation though is a true no skips album. No skips. I completely agree. I listen to it top to bottom probably once a month. Okay. I was going to be like, once a week, same. (laughs) I mean, sometimes it's more than once a month. I listened to it this week, top to bottom already. So (laughs) yeah, that's a no skips one. Also, I mean, two of the most recent ones, Folklore Evermore, I love Mm -hmm. them both, but I do think Evermore is more of a no skips than Folklore is, if I'm being honest. I, I liked Evermore out of the gate more uh-huh. than Folklore. Folklore took me time. I do think that, um, and it, it like, there weren't some, some skips at first. Um, I'm trying to think, I think what really switched it for me too, was, um, the long pond studios, like mm-hmm. having multiple versions because I like some of the long pond studio versions more. Okay. I think my only grievance on Evermore is I don't love the song Dorothea. Really? I know some people love it. It's not, I mean, it's not my favorite, but I do enjoy it. I'm, I'm more of a Marjorie gal, if you will. Oh my God. I love Marjorie. <laughs> yeah. I, love Marjorie. I also, I mean, what I'm also a huge, um, oh my God, my brain is not working this morning. Uh, my tears ricochet. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, that was like one of my most topped. That and Champagne Problems, I think last year were like my top. <laughs> yeah, Champagne Problems is my second. My first was Cruel Summer, which I know I just said I'm not the biggest lover fan, but- Cruel Summer is a great song. I mean, I did, I moved to the beach right before summer began. So I feel like it was my summer anthem in a way, which yes. is what topped the charts. Okay, my final Taylor Swift, this or that question. We could yeah. have a whole dang episode <laughs> on this one. My final one for now. When okay. it comes to the vault- tracks of re-record so far. Are you more of a fearless Taylor's version from the vault tracks, or do you prefer the red from the vault tracks? Red. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, fearless was great and wonderful, but like my hardcore Taylor Swiftness didn't fully come until red. Same. Um, I just wasn't, I'm just not super, super into country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why, I mean, even speak now had more of a turn into pop than fearless and like forever. And always will always have like such a place in my mm-hmm. heart and things like that. But I also just lyrically depth wise, she's older. Like, I mean, so many of them off of red are just like, Oh my God, I cannot believe this. Like nothing new, like dead. Buried. I was wrecked for days. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know you did. Um, and we'll, we'll plug at the end of the episode, your TikTok and your social media, but I know you were doing some TikTok videos. I think you had a, you had a all too well, 10 minute version. Like if, yes. if you relate to this, this is what it means. Didn't you also have a nothing new one? I did. And that one, like was the, that one got the most views out of everyone. Yeah. That, I I've think done. that one took a lot of, took a lot of us by surprise. I didn't know what to expect, but the first time I listened to it, I don't, I was not in my body. I was like looking down on myself mm-hmm. in like, those moments, but it's a beautiful song. Oh yeah. my God. Yes. And I love Phoebe Bridgers and it just poetic. Amazing. 
Yeah. Well, um, thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode of the Your Story Podcast, where we only talk about Taylor Swift. But um, now that we've done a little bit of this or that to all the non-Swifties out there, I guess. I guess I'm sorry. But um, I'd love for you as we're kind of kicking off the bulk of our interview here to tell us just a little bit about yourself, what you do, and most importantly, what led you into the work that you do now. Yeah. So um you guys might know me, uh, from Instagram or TikTok is therapy for women. I am a licensed therapist. Um, I also have a practice in Philadelphia with therapists licensed across the country. And, um, a lot of my clinical work specializes specifically in, uh, substance use disorders and their overlap with eating disorders. I'm really passionate about that intersection because I personally am in recovery from a substance use disorder and an eating disorder. And really what led me on this kind of path was I saw a lot of therapists growing up who I really didn't like. Uh, they were like kind of blank slate therapists. They didn't really show their personality very much. And then after I graduated from college, I found an amazing therapist who was like more open about her journey and she was in recovery. And I just like fell in love with chair therapy. It changed my life. And that was when I went back to school and was just like, I would love to be able to provide this space for other people. And I think, I mean, I can only speak for myself and my experience with your content, but I think what I'm about to say will probably resonate with others who follow along with your content. But the first thing that I think of when I land on your page is relatable, like fun, compassionate, all of the above. And when I think of looking to work with a helping professional, that's what we're looking for, right? Of course, we're looking for someone who has the experience and the credentials to be able to help us and hold space, but we're also looking for someone who feels inviting and we feel like we can relate to in some ways. And I think you do a really great job of that. I I know you do for me. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Claire. But one, one thing, one big thing that you have going on now, and it's a, a recent thing, you have recently released a book and yes. I, I'm looking at it here on my desk. You were so kind to send me a copy, but it is called Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love. So I have a lot of questions for you <laughs> regarding this book, but for the sake of time, I have boiled these down to two main questions. Okay. First question is what led you to writing a book like this? And then my second one is who is this for? Like, who are you mm-hmm. hoping is going to pick this up off the shelf and read it? Yeah. So I wrote this book because there's a lot of amazing books out there. We call it kind of the quit lit genre is kind of what the sobriety exploration um, books are called. And there's a lot written by a lot of people who are sober. And then there's a lot of clinical books written by therapists that are kind of for other therapists that aren't really um, self-help books. They're more clinical books. And I was I've always been frustrated when I was reading Quitlet that there was never a book that a therapist kind of bridged that gap between. And I really felt like that was missing because yes, sobriety is important and it's important to learn how to say I'm not drinking. And it's important for all of these, you know, skills for you to learn them. But even more importantly, once you stop drinking or once you start questioning your relationship with alcohol, a lot of other things kind of pop up that you need to work on, like learning how to set boundaries, learning how to deal with and work through trauma that you might have, recognizing that you might have anxiety or other mental health issues. Because I really believe that whether we're talking about alcohol, drug use, eating disorders, any of those things, that's just what we see on the surface. But there's a lot going on underneath that really is under under it and creates all of the other issues above. Mm -hmm. So that is the why of what inspired you to write the book. Who, who are you hoping is going to pick it off the shelf? I think I know the answer to this question, (laughs) flipping through it and reading a little bit, but who is it for? Um, it is geared more towards women. Um, but really it's like, I intended to write it for kind of anyone who's on any level of the journey of whether you're just slightly interested in maybe, stopping drinking or you're someone who's been, you know, sober for a really long time. 
I really designed the book so that it could meet anyone where they are and give them something that hopefully they don't know about. Um, but I also really, a lot of sober books are written with people who've been trying to stop drinking for a long time. Mm -hmm. And my book doesn't encourage labeling. It doesn't say you have to call yourself an alcoholic. It's for like anyone that's slightly interested in if their life would be better if they drank less. Yeah. The way you're describing it reminds me of just someone who's interested in exploring what it would be like to place some distance between them and alcohol. And it kind of, in a way, relates a lot to what we talk about here on this podcast, right? This podcast is all about food, more specifically our relationship with food and exploring how we relate to food and how we've learned to relate to food over the years. So something that I would love to talk about with you is the intersection between alcohol and eating. I know that's a really open-ended question, but you even said earlier that one of the things that you're passionate about is talking about the connection between alcohol and eating disorders and recovery. So I'd just love to hear your thoughts on how the two intersect alcohol and food. Well, I think the first thing to know is that it is something that comes up, especially for women. So, so much. I mean, when you look into the research of it, it is like some of the studies say up to 46% of people that have a substance use disorder also struggle with an eating disorder or some issue with food in some capacity. And when I worked, so I did my internship and then I got a job at a drug and alcohol rehab. And I, um, this was, you know, a few years ago before I started my practice, I worked with women in the long-term unit. And what was shocking to me is how many of them never identified with having an eating disorder, but then they, you know, quit drinking or quit using a substance and they either realized they started using to begin with to control their weight or, um, to, because they didn't like how they looked or when they stopped using, then they had some sort of issue with, they gained weight and they didn't like it. And it made them triggered to want to use again, or they would kind of realize that they, um, maybe had some sort of eating disorder, eating issue that would come up. And there's just so little talked about. And when you look at the broader cultural understanding of all of this, What I've really noticed, and I talk about a lot in my book, is that diet culture and alcohol culture, the root of them is the same. They're both selling us this idea, right? Like with diet culture, it's selling us the idea that if we looked this way, if we were thinner, um, we would be happy, we would be confident, we would have the life we wanted. And alcohol is selling us the same thing. It's saying, if you drink this beverage, you'll be relaxed. You'll be outgoing. You will have more friends. You will finally be happy. And in my research, it was really interesting comparing like Kardashian advertisements of like them selling alcohol and them selling a diet and they're selling the same thing. Yeah. Just a different product. Since you brought up the example of studying Kardashian advertising, Did you look into, this is just out of sheer curiosity, I've never looked into this, but what was um, the outcome of that marketing? Did they sell equal amounts of the product that they were selling in in both accounts? Did they have more success with the alcohol product, with the diet, or did you look into that at all? They did have more success with the diet. Um, I think that's also because Kim doesn't really drink or she used to not drink. Uh So I don't really know why she was selling (laughs) I think it's like Midori sour is what she sold, huh. um, which is an obscure alcohol brand, but yeah. Um, I think just based on her brand, I think she's better at selling, you know, and especially now with like her skims brand and all that, she's better at selling weight loss and body yeah, changing. More like body focused products. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting what you were saying earlier, looking at, um, how a lot of the times, sometimes, sometimes like a substance use disorder and an eating disorder can be co-occurring and how, how frequently when maybe someone works on their relationship with alcohol and they remove that as a coping mechanism, how some eating behaviors can come up, right. Or some eating disorder behaviors. It reminds me of a conversation that I actually had recently with another therapist, an eating disorder therapist. Um, her name's Eleanor Clark. If anyone wants to go and find that old episode, but she describes eating disorders as an illegitimate solution to a legitimate Mm. problem. 
Yes. I Um, love that. Do you think that is similar with alcohol or does that relate? Yep. I think they're both extremely similar. I mean, and when I think of right, food is very different than alcohol. We're not addicted to food, but I think what we get addicted to in regards of an eating disorder is the feeling of being able to control our body weight and our food and our body shape. We feel like we go on this diet and we get this high of like, I can change my body. I can change my life. And we know obviously eating disorders are about control, but what people don't always think about is substance use disorders are often about control as well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like control because their life typically looks a lot more out of control, especially compared to someone that has an eating disorder, but they're very in control of their emotions and they use alcohol or a substance to just turn off that emotion and not feel, and they get very, um, relying on that. And we can do that with food as well, you know, or dieting. Totally. Something that you said a moment ago, I know we were talking a little bit before we hit record off mic about, of course, how eating and alcohol or an eating disorder and a substance use disorder are similar, but we were also mentioning the ways in which they are different. And if you're open to it, I'd really like to talk a little bit more about the we cannot be addicted to food piece because yes. I think a lot of people uh, will get their feathers ruffled, um, understandably so, because I feel like some individuals can approach this topic from a very dismissive point of view. Um, yeah. Some people in hearing food is not addictive might feel like their experience isn't being mm. heard because they feel very addicted to food. Absolutely. Experience feel similar, but could you elaborate a little bit more on the difference between a substance use disorder or an mm-hmm. addiction versus feeling out of control around food or the feeling of being yep. the food, but how that's different from a true addiction? Yep, absolutely. So when we think about an eating disorder, right? Like it's about the food, but it's not about the food. It's we're using that in order to deal with a lot of times what's going on underneath. And the biggest difference I would say is habituation. When you allow yourself to eat, you know, your fear foods, like the biggest reason that we feel addicted to food is because of our restriction about it, whether that's actual restriction or even right. There's been studies where it's like that mental restriction around food causes you to feel more addicted to it. It causes it to be much more exciting. And if we allow people or we allow ourselves to have access to enough food and obviously privilege comes into play here, but the more you like essentially the way to work through an eating disorder and like work through feeling addicted to food. And I work with people in my practice doing this, but I've also experienced it myself. I was very bulimic like for 12 years, really long time in my life. So I really get, I was convinced for a really long time that I was addicted to food. So I never gave myself permission to eat fear foods. So if we over time allow ourselves to do it through habituation, those foods are less interesting to us and we don't feel as addicted where the opposite is true with alcohol. Actually, the more you drink, the more your brain adapts and becomes addicted to alcohol and becomes reliant on it to the point where I think a lot of people don't know this, but alcohol is the most dangerous drug to detox from. Mm -hmm. It is more dangerous to detox from alcohol than heroin or anything else. Cause you can actually die from detoxing from alcohol because your body gets so addicted to it. It doesn't know how to function. You can have seizures, all of that stuff. So that's the big difference too, is you can't live without, without eating. You can live very healthily <laughs> without, without ingesting substances. Yeah. That's always something that I like to point out as well. When this topic comes up, I say, we cannot be addicted to something that is absolutely essential for our survival. It's kind of, um, one of the examples that's get, that gets thrown around a lot in the intuitive eating community is no one is ever out here saying, why are you breathing so much? Are you addicted to breathing? You should really breathe less. (laughs) We don't say that because we, we know, and we understand that that is required for us to survive. The same thing is true with food. We need food. We need enough of it. We need it regularly throughout the day in order to feel 
nourished, in order to feel at ease around food, in order to be able to focus on things beyond food. And yeah, I really appreciate too what you were saying about habituation. Mm-hmm. That if, if anyone is a returning listener of the podcast, you heard us talk about that a lot because with increased exposure to those fear foods, the less power they hold over us over time. But as you compare that to how the inverse is true with alcohol, I had never had anyone explain it in that way of how that habituation process just does not hold up when it comes to a substance like alcohol. That's interesting. Exactly. And really, I mean, I remember when I was getting sober and quitting drinking, And I had explored intuitive eating and intuitive eating was, you know, the thing that finally started getting me into recovery. I felt like, well, maybe I should just let myself drink whatever I want. And maybe like the habituation will work (laughs) with alcohol. And maybe I'm being too restrictive and dramatic by saying that I'm not going to drink anymore. But the problem is, is that you can create a life you love without alcohol in it. And that to me is true freedom. You know, it's not. Like it can feel restrictive. I get it when people are thinking about, especially if they have an eating disorder, I've heard people say like alcohol moderation is a tricky thing for me because I start to get triggered and I feel like I'm back in my eating disorder. If I think about limiting something Mm -hmm. and I think that's where it's important, which I, I understand. And I think it's important to take things kind of want, like work on one thing at a time. Sometimes a lot of times in the you know, in the therapy community, we talk about working on the most severe thing first, and then before you move on to something else. Um, but I think it's important to think about with alcohol, what you can do is if you try to moderate all the time, because it's an addictive substance one. And number two, if you have a drink, you're turning off that front part of your brain that makes decisions that is where you can really be tapped into your body cues, Mm -hmm. right? Like we talk about it, lowering our inhibitions, but our inhibitions are also there to protect us and to keep us safe. So it does create this disconnection when we get, um, when we ingest substances, if we're trying to be connected to our body and it's kind of the opposite of intuitive eating in that sense. Yeah. Well, what you're touching on the, the body connection, we call that interceptive awareness. Like you're about right. to pick up on a feeling or a sensation that's happening within your body and choose an action as a result. So noticing a hunger cue is an example, right? You might feel yep. that in your stomach, or you might be thinking about food more. So it's a form of connection and yeah, that's going to look different for everyone, but it's a form of connection. When you compare it to alcohol and how that is a substance that fosters disconnection between you. Yes, it is kind of quite the opposite of intuitive eating. And then if we kind of compare, like think of someone who's trying to be more thoughtful, intentional and intentional about food choices and connecting to their body. And we're adding alcohol on top of that. I can see how that could become confusing because it's like, but I'm trying to connect and I'm trying to feel into my body. But if you're also ingesting a substance on top of that, that makes it more challenging, doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, right? Right. To, to keep in mind and to consider. Um, yep. Something you said a few moments ago, you were talking about some of the thoughts that were going through your mind when you began your yeah. journey. And one of the thoughts, I apologize in advance if I'm going to mince your words, but it was something along the lines of part of me thought, is this too extreme? Is mm-hmm rigid to say, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm wondering if we could maybe relate that to some of our listeners who Mm. might be hearing us speak about this. Maybe they're curious about being sober, but not sure if it's for them. What are maybe some things, these could be thoughts, these could be behaviors that these individuals could look out for to help Mm -hmm. them decide is exploring sobriety, not drinking. Is that going to be a helpful thing for me? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great question. I think one of the first things is really looking at how alcohol impacts your life. You know, there are certain things that alcohol does for us. And I'm not someone at all. Who's like, no one should ever drink. Everyone needs to be sober. I think it's really individual. So I think honestly assessing, you know, 
what are you using alcohol for? What does it help you with or add to your life? And then what are the things that it kind of takes away or what are some of the costs so that we can more honestly assess would your life be better or not without it? Because I think one of the biggest things, and it's why I think even just like taking a, you know, I think taking a dry January or a 30 day break or cutting back a little bit more can help us. Even if you don't choose to give up alcohol completely is sometimes we don't recognize the ways we're kind of using alcohol to avoid our emotions, to avoid maybe setting a hard boundary, to avoid feeling uncomfortable in our body. I mean, I think like sex and intimacy is one of the biggest things that we use alcohol It is not that alcohol is an aphrodisiac. Alcohol turns off the part of our brain that's self-conscious and objectifies ourselves. And we know in the dual control model for women having um, sex, it's not just about being turned on. It's about not being turned off (laughs) and alcohol does that really well. So even if you just explored it by taking a break from drinking, you'll start to see where maybe you're using alcohol in these ways. And then when you, when you're using alcohol, you don't actually learn those skills. And I'm all for like, let's learn the skills. So then you can choose fully if you want to drink in those occasions or not. Yeah. I want to go back just for a moment. You were talking yeah. about the dual control model. I, um, that's familiar to me. Are, are you referencing, um, come as you are the book? Yes. Is that, is that who wrote that? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I wanted to put a plug for that because I yes. some of our listeners are out there like, wait, wait what is she talking yeah. about? <laughs> so I wanted to, to put that in there because it's a really interesting book on sex relationships, all the above. And yeah, she talks about that dual control model, but, um, yeah. Oh, you mentioned something um, exploring, oh, the questions that you were offering individuals to think about or to consider in considering if, Hey, do I want to do a dry January? Do I want to step away or cut back for a while? The questions are really similar to the ones that I share with people Mm. to assessing how diets or how a restrictive relationship with food fits into their life, especially the question of, um, what value is this adding or lead me to feel. And I feel like when you're in the thing, right? Like when you start a new diet, you were even talking about this earlier, starting a new diet is accompanied by those feelings of hope and excitement and a promise for yep. what similar of getting ready for a night of drinking, right? It's yep. like, what's going to happen. I'm rooted in all this anticipation. So yep. I think it can be helpful to take a couple of steps back because if I look at the work that I do with clients, they're coming to me or any other non-diet dietitian, usually because they're sick and tired of it. Right. And they've reached like the bottom of the dieting cycle where yep. don't feel good. Right. And because they're starting to take a step back, they can ask that question. What value is this adding? And often pretty clearly see that it's, it's not adding much. In fact, it's, you know, preventing me from connecting to my body or forming meaningful relationships because I'm so stuck in my head about food. And it sounds like placing a little bit of time and space between you and alcohol can give similar clarity around those questions. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, so that's also what led me to create the term. I talk about in my book, disordered drinking, mm-hmm. because in my experience working with clients, it is much easier for me to talk about actually, I think because diet culture has become more aware and, you know, it's a little bit more popular these days. It's much easier for me to talk about what patterns of disordered eating might you be engaging in and talk about that with clients compared to alcohol, because people are so terrified of being diagnosed or given the label of an alcoholic. So people are so afraid of it. So I think, and we know, right. Based on research, if you engage in some disordered eating behaviors, you are more likely to develop an eating disorder. So, so many people, when I go on podcasts too, they ask me like, well, How do people know if it's too much or what's a real problem drinker? What's really an alcoholic? And I get that. I get that, but I don't really care. (laughs) 
-hmm. Like I care, but I don't think it's helpful. I think people get so stuck in, am I an alcoholic? Am I a problem drinker? Is this a problem? And I, I think we should just flip it on its head and just say, is alcohol, like, would my life be better if I drank less, like screw the, the label and whether you fit or not, it's the same thing you were talking about. Claire is like, would your life be better if you, you know, if you stopped engaging in like diet culture, you stopped dieting so much. It's not about whether you fit perfectly the criteria of an eating disorder and then you have to stop. Right. I was going to, I was going to say, I feel like a lot of people when it comes to food too, can get really caught up in the, mm. the label of it all. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and of course, if you have a diagnosed eating disorder, that is very serious. <laughs> we yes. want you to get the help and the care that you deserve. And at the same time, I see it all the time in my practice, just because you do not have a diagnosed eating disorder doesn't mean that you have not struggled in your relationship with food. Doesn't mean that you could not benefit from practicing more permission in your relationship with food or loosening the grip. I call it on some dieting rules. You don't have to have that label on it to experience a better relationship with food or parts of intuitive eating. Like that's really similar in the work that you do too. You don't have to identify or be diagnosed as a quote unquote alcoholic to experience what life would be like without alcohol. And I think similarly to what you were saying, right? Like anyone can benefit from questioning the relationship with diet culture or dieting. And I think anyone can benefit from questioning their relationship with alcohol and anyone can and I think like questioning mm-hmm. is the main word there. Yeah. I'm wondering like a, a lot of people, maybe you see this in your work, but when you start bringing up, when you're using words like sober, mm-hmm. or don't drink or alcoholism, it's like, ah, right. Yes. Like, that seems so definitive. Or are you saying I can never do this thing again? The way I hear your message, that's not at all what I'm interpreting. I'm really hearing that word question get curious. You're not married to any outcome. You don't have to be, you could just explore what a certain period of time would look like without this and the potential benefits or the outcomes or how life changes, how social Mm -hmm. situations are different. It's just one big experiment. I had a client tell me one time, she's like, Claire, do you realize how many times you use (laughs) the word experiment in our calls? I'm like, you do have a good point. Yeah. I think it's important to to think about it that way. I totally agree. I mean, that's really what my whole book is too, is it's like a journey and a lot, there's tons of questions and exercises for you to come up with the answers yourself. You know, I think we all have like an inner knowing too, that we use other things and right. It's a part of interoception. We can exit, right. That knowing we can use, you know, dieting and whether it's, um, substances, even what like working too much, right? Like gambling, busyness, unhealthy relationships, all these things to kind of like exit the discomfort of what's going on. And to me, like healing is coming back to center. It's building that awareness with ourselves. It's getting curious. It's, it's accepting ourselves. It's being compassionate. Um, so yeah. Coming back to yourself and your body. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, Amanda, the final question that I have for you, I mean, I could talk to you all day long about (laughs) swift and non-swifty things, but, um, one other way that I think eating and drinking alcohol specifically are similar is that they happen a lot of the time in social situations. Yes. Yes. We eat at parties. We eat at holidays and celebrations. We also often drink at all Mm -hmm. of those you were even telling me before we hit record, um, this ties in Taylor Swift, right? You had been to an event by Kay Kennedy. I'm a big fan. You yep. Podcast. And obviously there was alcohol there, right? Right. You were not drinking. And I'm, I'm thinking to anyone who is listening, who's maybe considering yeah. what a life would be like without alcohol, the thought of well, what am I going to do in mm. social situations is coming up. And I think that can be scary for a lot of people because it's a social lubricant in a lot of ways. And it maybe makes conversing easier. If there's anxiety there, it feels easier in the moment. So what would your advice or your thoughts be 
to someone who is concerned about the social component of it? I think the first thing I would say is you're not alone. I mean, that is literally probably the first thing that always comes up for people when they are questioning their relationship with alcohol is that social component. Um, But I think the other thing is you don't know what you're capable of when you rely on alcohol as that social lubricant. And I think a lot of us are a lot more capable of working through social anxiety of Um, you know, we know with anxiety, part of it is exposure. It's similar to, you know, food habituation where the more we avoid something, a lot of times the more anxious we get. So I really think that it can be scary, but also when you develop that confidence in yourself that you can go anywhere and do anything without an out, like without a beverage in your hand, There is so much confidence on the other side of that. And I think we build it up and make it so much more scary than it actually is. Cause the reality is it's like the first 15 minutes are the hardest Mm -hmm. and then everyone settles in and has their drink and it's, and it, you know, it's not, it's no one notices, no one pays attention to you. (laughs) Yeah. Especially as they continue to consume. (laughs) Yes. Um, The last thing that is coming to my mind here is on the topic of boundary setting, especially Mm -hmm. social situations, because part of me thinks, yeah, as people settle in and as they're having more drinks, no one's going to really notice. And that Mm -hmm. might be true in some circumstances. They might not notice drinking. I think we all have maybe also been in social situations where there's that one person, maybe it's a family member, a loved one or a friend who really wants you to drink, right? Yes. Oh, come on, just have one or be fun. We're trying to have a good time. I feel like I could say a million different things that I've heard before, but what would your advice be if someone finds himself in that situation for either setting or reinforcing a boundary of I'm not drinking tonight? Yeah, absolutely. And to clarify, I think the first 15 minutes happens often, unfortunately, after this conversation happens. Mm. So this is the hardest part. It's like once they, yes, once they accept your boundary or they accept that you're not drinking tonight, typically that's like the hardest part of your night. Uh But this is a hard part for sure. Because most often when you say you're not drinking tonight, the first question someone asks you is why? (laughs) And it is such a hard question because you might not Maybe you're not sober. Maybe you, you know, maybe you just don't feel like drinking tonight. And in our culture, it's like, you need a good reason. Otherwise, why would you ever not drink? So the temptation a lot of times is to use an excuse to say, well, I have to get up early tomorrow, or I, you know, I'm on medication or something like that, or I'm the DD. But the problem is when you use an excuse, people don't think you actually don't want to drink. They just want to solve your problem and mm-hmm. they try, they will come out of the woodwork. They will be solve so your problem. in that moment. Yes. <laughs> right. They'll be like, I'll get up early and help you move. Right. But like, the, you know, people who never offer to help will just yeah. all of a sudden become super generous. So I think remembering that, um, you know, you don't have to say anything that you don't feel comfortable with. And you can say like, I'm not drinking tonight. And they say, why? And you can just say, I just don't want to like, you don't have to elaborate. I think people can rack their brains to be like, I'm not drinking tonight. Someone says why we say, I just don't feel like it. They say why. And we feel like we need to come up with a good enough reason. Mm -hmm. And you can repeat the same thing multiple times and say, please don't ask me again. (laughs) I just don't feel like it. I just don't want to whatever you're, you know, whatever you want to say with that. It's similar to conversations around food. People yep. with dieting. Yep. Why are you eating that? Because yep. I want to. Right. <laughs> Do you really need to go back for seconds? Yep. yep. I'm hungry. Yep. Or yep. I just want more. Right. So yep. similar in that way to you do not owe a full explanation. You do not have to offer more information than you want to. It can be as simple as I'm just not, I don't want to drink tonight yep. or exactly. 
I want to eat this food, or I, I don't want to eat that right now. The, the pair, the parallels are so numerous here. Um, yes. Yes. But Amanda, it has been so wonderful talking to you. Thank you for fielding all of my questions for offering all of the, the tips and the tools that you did for anyone who is wanting to learn more about you, follow along with your content. If they don't already, which if you don't, what the heck are you doing? Uh, <laughs> and, and if they want to find your book, where yeah. they get all of that information. Yeah. So my Instagram is therapy for women. Um, if you're a Swifty, I have I have TikToks, which is also therapy for women, which I encourage you to come over. Um, yeah, my book is called not drinking tonight, a guide to creating a sober life. You love it's available everywhere. Books are sold Amazon, Barnes and Noble bookshop.org, all those places. And, um, I have a link in my bio on Instagram, but my website is amandaewhite.com and anything I have going on, you can see there one-stop shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll be sure as well to have your Instagram linked. I'll be sure in the show notes to put a link to your book if people would Great. like to buy it. But thank you again so much for being here. And I know our listeners got um, a lot of Swifty content and also <laughs> a lot of what we were talking about. But um, my friends, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast. We are going to go ahead and sign off by saying yours, Julie, Claire, and Amanda. And that's a wrap on episode 166 of the Yours Truly podcast with the one, the only, the incredible Amanda White. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. As always, if you got any value out of this conversation or anything else you've ever listened to here on the show, it would mean the world to me if you could take a couple of minutes and tap those five stars. If you feel inclined to leave a review, I would be grateful if you could do that as well. If you are not listening on Apple Podcasts and you can't tap the stars and leave a review, you can also share this episode and the show in general on your social media platform of choice. You could do that by taking a screenshot and putting it on your social media story, Facebook, Instagram, whatever your preference might be. And you can also send this episode out to anyone who you think could benefit from it. You can do that by tapping the three dots somewhere on your screen and tap being copy link and sending it out via text, email, spaceship, I don't know, however you send things out to the group chat, to your friends, family, again, whoever you think could benefit from this conversation. One last thank you to Amanda White. It was so amazing talking with you, Taylor Swift sobriety, all the things. I am grateful that we got the opportunity to connect. And my listener, that is all that we have for you today, but I will be back in your feed, not next week, but the next. Remember, we're switching to an every other week type of episode release, but thanks for sticking around and I'll talk to you soon. Take care.